Welcome to Songcraft, the spotlight on songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is singer, songwriter, and producer Jackie DeShannon, who is best known for her hit records, What the World Needs Now is Love, and the self-penned Put a Little Love in Your Heart. The Songwriters Hall of Fame member and five-time Grammy nominee who won the coveted Song of the Year Grammy for Betty Davis Eyes will join us in a few moments to chat about her remarkable career. Part one. Well, uh, some of the listeners might have noticed that we have um, what I think now uh, could be considered a new theme song because we've used it uh, two episodes in a row. Yeah. Um, but uh, we used to use um, songs by the guests, uh, whoever was was on the show. And uh, I'm just going to be like real honest with everybody. A lot of times we had to do a lot of editing just to pull out enough of an instrumental section yeah. to lay under the, the bed. <laughs> yeah, too lazy to keep doing that. Yeah, so we are motivated first and foremost by laziness. Yeah. Um, and we decided, you know what? Why don't we just have a theme song? A lot of shows have a theme song and that's the song that you hear when you know it's like here's a story of a lovely lady you know it, you right. know what's coming up it's uh that's a good show's got a good theme song yeah so, imagine turning on the brady bunch and it was like a different song every time yeah you'd be like what am i even watching right um so we've decided to uh to try having a theme song for a while and we'll see how that goes and maybe you guys will get sick of it and uh we'll quit having a theme song but for <laughs> now We've got a theme song. What's our listenership just plummet? Yeah, you know, I just... used to like this show <laughs> until you guys started with a theme song. Yeah, well, I've <laughs> honestly I've seen I've seen uh, dumber critiques of our show, but um, <laughs> you know somebody might have that feeling. Please please let us know. Uh, we probably won't do anything about it, but please let us know if you like or don't like the theme song. Or, or you could just you, you skip forward. You know, like one minute is also <laughs> yeah. another uh, another option. But um, actually, w- what is cool about this song is uh, it's a song that uh, Paul and I are both actually playing on. That's true. Um, so that's kind of fun. That that uh, I think you're playing keys and I'm playing acoustic guitar on this on this track. So uh, that's kind of nice that we get to you know yeah. to to show off our chops as it were. Our fingerprints are all over the show. <laughs> yeah, actually, I had to get like a, a special kind of cleaner to get your fingerprints off the piano <laughs> keys. Um, it was some kind of oil or something. I don't yeah, know. It, it, it would have been a weird day. <laughs> um, hey, speaking of people contacting us and uh, and and saying something about the show, um, every now and then we read uh, letters. Uh, letters. <laughs> we get a bag of mail. Uh, every now and then we read. Uh, emails that we've gotten from the contact form at songcraftshow.com. And uh, I did want to just share this one. We, we don't share the, the the haters. We just share the, the people <laughs> right. that love us because our egos are, are too fragile. That's for... why you only hear one every six episodes or so. <laughs> right. But uh, we did just get a letter uh, from a guy named Jeff, and he says, um, Dear Scott and Paul, uh, I am so grateful to have discovered your podcast. 
Uh, I have started a new phase of my songwriting and feel like I've discovered your podcast at the perfect time. I listen to episodes while walking to work and with each episode, walk away with a barrel of inspiration. Hearing artists like Will Hogue, Linda Perry, or Alex Ebert tell their stories feels super special to me, and it's like I'm getting access to a secret club for songwriters. Mm. I love your style of interviewing and letting the guests really share the best details based on your stellar questions. Um, just want to say, first of all, you think you're inspired now. Wait till a few more episodes with this new theme song, <laughs> and you're going to walk away far more inspired than, than you even thought you were. And second of all, in terms of being a part of this secret club of songwriters, Yes, that's exactly what it is. And when COVID's over, we will teach you the handshake. <laughs> but for now, we just, <laughs> for now, we stay distance. But I am, very, I am, th- thank you, Jeff. I am email. still going to use hand sanitizer after shaking someone's hand after COVID is over because now this whole thing's turned me into a germaphobe. So, <laughs> well, yeah, th- this also could be the time to bring out the old joy buzzer, the old uh, <laughs> hand shocker. Right. Just, just, just to teach people that, oh, you want to try to shake my hand? All right. <laughs> right. Here's what you get a classic prank. <laughs> fake vomit, you know, same thing. (laughs) You know, another thing that's kind of lingering in the air today is the fragrance of the Grammys. Speaking of of fake vomit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Grammys just happened. Uh, It's a different kind of Grammys this year. Yep. Um, One of the things that that was consistent about the Grammys is that you were nominated for liner notes. (laughs) Yes. Seems to be a bit of a trend in past years. Another consistent thing is that I I lost again, Uh, but I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I, I was nominated for best album notes and, uh, my wife, um, who is incredibly supportive, uh, the other night she had ordered a cake, uh, from a bakery and it said, congratulations on your Grammy nom nom little reference to the cake there. Um, and so we went to pick it up and the guy working at the bakery, uh, said, oh, who, who's nominated for the Grammy? And she says, my husband is nominated. And he goes, oh, what, what category? And <laughs> I looked at the age of this guy and I was like, oof, this is going to be an uphill climb. So I had to explain what album notes are uh, or, <laughs> you know. And so for those who don't know, the album notes Did category. Did you start with explaining what albums are? <laughs> yeah, I started with explaining what music was. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> no, so the album notes category goes to uh, people who have written essays basically about uh, music that is packaged in the physical version of the music. You know, some people still buy physical music and it's not all Spotify. But in my case, it was a 225 page coffee table book that was packaged with a 10 CD box set. Um, so, you know, the other thing is people go album notes. Isn't that like listing who played the drums? And I'm like, yeah, they don't really give awards for that. Like making lists. Um, so symmetrical, <laughs> but yes, uh, after just hijacking your, your comment, I was indeed nominated this year, which is an honor. I've been nominated twice. Yeah. And, uh, though I didn't win, um, the guy who did win Bob Mayer is a great writer, great guy, wrote a great piece. So I am, uh, I'm happy for him and, uh, you know, I'm going to try again next year. Well, I'm proud of you. I know the Songcraft listeners are proud of you. Um, and, you know, win or lose. I mean, a Grammy nomination is a, a massive achievement. Um, and that's, you know, here, here we are, a, a, you know, a day after the Grammys and you're like, yeah, shut up. But <laughs> it is. So, yeah. Well, you know, I figure like one nomination might be a fluke now that I've been nominated twice. It's like, OK, so maybe there, maybe I'm onto something. You right. know, the last time it might have just been like a mistake. But uh, but now I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know. Well, I think one thing you can hold on to is that in the coming years, fewer and fewer people will try to write album notes. Right. I mean, at some point I'm just going to win because I'm the only guy who did it all year. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, it's hard being the torchbearer for the uh, sexiest category at the Grammys. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that category is definitely the, the low-rise jeans of the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you, man, who I was who I was the most happy for yesterday was a um, past Songcraft guest, Lettucey. Um, yeah. Lettucey won a Grammy for Best Traditional R&B Performance for uh, Anything For You. And uh, the reason that I was happy for Lettucey was not just because I really liked her when she was on the show and, and thought she was a great person, but dude, she's been nominated for 13 Grammys and hasn't won. This is her Good first night. Grammy win after 13 nominations. So when I saw that, I was like, oh man, I am so happy for her. Can yeah. you imagine like 12 times like, oh, and the 13th <laughs> is like the magic one. I love that. I love that she won. Yeah. Just that, that speech in the pocket. Yeah. You know, you, you got the speech in the pocket each time. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's gotta, that's gotta catch up to you at a certain point. But I mean, uh, you, you, if, if, if two Grammy nominations proves that it's not a fluke, you know, look at 13. Yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, an achievement inside of an achievement for Lettucey and I, I'm with you, you know, big congrats to her. I mean, it's, it, you, when you look at the history of the Grammys and, and people that get nominated multiple times and, and win multiple times, it, it's a pretty incredible story of legacy and there, there's some, one of the things I was reading about the other day was, uh, the year Christopher Cross did a big Grammy sweep. I don't know right. if you knew that, but it was like did, yeah. best song, you know, best album. He was the everything. Nora Jones of his time. Yeah. And, and I'm dying to have Christopher Cross on to talk about that. Um, it, and it was a, uh, kind of a feat that Billie Eilish, uh, uh, completed the same sweep. Yeah. Uh, last year. And so, you know, th- these are I, looking back at what happens at these um, at these award shows. They're 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 benchmarks. Yeah, for, for sure. what's happening in music at the time. You can look at, at Stevie Wonder's big year. We have songs of the key of life. Actually, Stevie Wonder's big many years. Um, <laughs> right. Michael Jackson. You know, Beyonce had a huge a huge showing um, recently. And then, of course, you've got. I mean, my goodness, this new song. Uh, with Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, this oh, yeah. Leave the Door Open song. Great How incredible song. was that? Yeah, I heard that the other night and I posted it on Facebook. I said, uh, for anybody who thinks I don't like new music, uh, I love new music that sounds like old music. So I love this song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's so good. Oh, man, I, I was playing it the other day and I was like, oh, man, this is giving me major vibes of like Never Can Say Goodbye. Um, some of those Jackson Five songs that sit right in that mid-tempo land, yeah. And you know the the background vocals, the strings, the way the drums sound, all of it is just so spot on. Yeah. It's, I, and when I saw those guys were working together, I was like, "This is going to be great." I didn't know it was going to be that great. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a shoe in for for some kind of Grammy next year. Yeah. Um, and you know. If Bruno Mars needs any album notes uh, about the song, uh, yeah. you know, I'd be happy to write some for him. Just putting that out there. There's, there's still time. Well, um, if they're if they're making music that sounds like old music, they might as well package it in a way that's in an old way. Yeah. I like it. Um, You know, we talked on our last episode about the fact that this is uh, Women's History Month. And we kind of rode into Women's History Month uh, with the Diane Warren episode. That was our last episode in in February. Last episode, we had an incredible conversation with Jeannie Seeley, who is known as a Grand Ole Opry star, but not really is known for her songwriting Mm -hmm. history, which was that was a a fascinating conversation. We've got... um, Another incredible conversation today with Jackie DeShannon, who is a songwriting legend, yeah. um, who really gets into kind of the nitty gritty of of the way that being a woman played into her experience of the entire music industry and, and the way that 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 shaped her career. Um, but I was, you know, looking back at 
of our 162 episodes, we've we've had 36 episodes with women, and you know we could probably do a little better. I think we could get our stats uh, up there a, a little better, and I think that that's what what this month is about. But not not just this month, but you know, looking into the future. But I was thinking about you know people that we've had on the show, like Natalie Hemby and Lori McKenna, who have kind of redefined, you know, the nature of country music songwriting. Yeah. Those two won a Grammy for best country song for the song Crowded Table. Uh, that was, you know, at this, this Grammys, it just happened this, this past weekend. Um, and just looking back over some of the, the amazing women that we've had on the show, like them or people who are true pioneers, like Wanda Jackson or Loretta Lynn or, Sadie Garrett, who wrote Man in the Mirror, um, Valerie Simpson, who wrote Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Alice Randall, who had the she's the first African-American woman to write a number one country song, you know, all the way to recent yeah. episodes with with folks like Ani DeFranco or Lucinda Williams or Linda Perry. Um, you know, it, it's just so important to remember uh, that songwriting in the music industry has largely been defined by the guys for, for so long. And I think we're really seeing that that change, yeah. you know, come to fruition now. Yeah, I, th I think we are seeing that shift, and I don't think it's necessarily a shift in, in what's being actually written or recorded. I, I think that greatness has always been out there. It's more of a shift in recognition. Yeah. We're starting to see that it's out there. Um, and it's it's fun, you know, watching my kids consume music and, and watching them see, you know, these these strong women, you know, in these prominent places, you know, leading the way yeah. um, with, you know, songs of the year and performances of the year, um, you know, from these, you know, two great Taylor Swift albums that just came out in the past year um, to what they see from Beyonce. And of course, my daughter uh, is a huge Katy Perry fanatic and um, <laughs> she's a big part of our house every day. Yeah. But um, and especially as a dad of, of two daughters um, who seem to already have musical inclinations of their own. I, I love them having role models you yeah. know, that kind of remind them of themselves and who they can be. Well, and I think that it's great for you as a father because you have daughters that are able to look to these women and see that um, that if they want to, they can be songwriters, they can be musicians. Yeah. And since you have chosen that professional path for yourself, you know how easy that is. And I'm sure that's exactly what you want for your children. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I also look at my kids, you know, looking at like Kiss and looking at Paul Stanley and they're like, that's a guy, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can talk about all that at a certain, <laughs> at a certain point. But yes, yeah, I, I see the makeup and I get it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I think that, that one of the things that was really emphasized in this conversation with Jackie is that she was one of the people who kicked those doors open for other women. And that's why, you know, not every door is necessarily wide open yet, but we've, we yeah. have come a long way. And I think that, you know, it's thanks to people like Jackie DeShannon, who really was a pioneer and man, she paved the way for an easier route, I think, for some of the women who came along after her. And, you know, you talk about somebody who is a pioneer in yeah. multiple senses of the word, but Jackie was like, man, she was on the front lines of, of advancing the role of women in music and just on the front lines of the whole pop music development and the folk rock uh, development in L.A. Um, truly, I mean, a, a real legend. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's all kind of belied by this, you know, the sweetness when you talk to her and she's so approachable and, you know, this great candor. But, you know, there's toughness. You yeah, know, yeah, there's right. got to be this incredible toughness underneath to, you know, to, to make it through. Uh, an era where 
you know, you not only you have to take no for an answer, you take silence for an answer. You take being <laughs> passed over and being ignored for an answer or being objectified as an answer. You know, all the things that, that she had to kind of walk through and just kept her head up and kept making great music. Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a listen. Part two. Jackie DeShannon was one of the first women in pop music to write and record her own material. As an artist, Jackie is best known for her recording of the Burt Bacharach and Hal David classic What the World Needs Now is Love, as well as for her self-penned Put a Little Love in Your Heart, which was a top five hit for her before being revived 20 years later to become a hit once again for Al Green and Annie Lennox. The five-time Grammy nominee who won the coveted Song of the Year Grammy for Betty Davis Eyes composed several classics, including Dum Dum, a hit for Brenda Lee, Breakaway, a hit for both Irma Thomas and Tracy Ullman, When You Walk in the Room, which was covered by The Searchers, and Don't Doubt Yourself, Babe, which was included on the debut album by The Birds. Jackie appeared with the Beatles on their first American tour in 1964 and has collaborated with a wide range of artists, including Randy Newman, Jimmy Page, and Van Morrison. Her songs have been covered by Marianne Faithful, Ella Fitzgerald, Glenn Campbell, the Everly Brothers, Cher, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Dolly Parton, Rick Nelson, Bruce Springsteen, Michael McDonald, and Taylor Swift. Jackie was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2010. Jackie, welcome to Songcraft. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It is so good to speak with you. Um, we've been looking forward to this uh, for a really long time. We're both huge uh, admirers of um, your songwriting and and also your artist career. Um, tell us a, a bit about your childhood and your early memories of what kind of music you were hearing um, in your home as a kid that kind of caught your ear and, and made you interested in music. Well, I'm from Hazel, Kentucky, and uh, both my my mom's from Illinois, and I had a mixture of uh, country music, classical music, blues, just, you know, all sorts of genres, and I grew up with that, and, um, you know, people will say, well, gee, you know, that sounds like you're a little country, and I'm a little country, and I'm a little rock and roll, and I'm a blues singer too so uh it's just the kind of music that i grew up in i sang in church i had a little radio show when i was uh uh four singing gospel music and with uh some friends of my parents and uh it was just music all the time that's what we enjoyed on the weekends hmm. and uh, you know all, a lot of people in the family played various instruments and you know it was pretty much uh um, a given. Yeah. Now, is this the kind of thing, you know, I, I picture like Kentucky and family members playing instruments. Is this, was this the sort of deal where like folks would, you know, gather together on the porch and bring their instruments over? How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. You left out the ice cream machine. Right. We, uh, we made our own ice cream. That's exactly right. Absolutely. You know, you, you do hear a lot about artists that kind of get their start in the church, and it probably doesn't feel like performance or really connect to performance, but those are probably your first, you know, moments of performance, I suppose, in front of a church. You're correct. That's exactly right. Um in front of the uh, audience, you know, audience in front of the, you know, people. It was, uh, it was great experience. And, um, you know, when you have that bug and you're a kid, it's just like my parents had to hold on to my coattails because I was going 
anyway, <laughs> with or without <laughs> them. So right. um, it's just, I think, something that, you know, when you have uh, a dream or you have something that you're locked to, that's it. And I always had that. And, you know, you mentioned the radio show, which I guess was a natural outgrowth of that church community if you were doing gospel music? It was. A friend of my parents picked me up, and, and, and they had a radio show, gospel radio show, and and uh, they wanted to present this little tot standing on a box <laughs> singing uh, the music. <laughs> Well, you eventually transitioned from gospel to country music, making your first record for the Marvell label in Indiana in 1956, credited to Sherry Lee, 16-year-old Miss Country Music with Shorty Ashford and the Country Music Boys, which is quite a mouthful. I can't find Talk about how that opportunity came about. Well, my we moved uh, from Kentucky when I was about nine or ten, and we moved back to Illinois, where my mom is from, because uh, you know, knowing my uh, ambition, they wanted to give me an opportunity to where I might have more exposure and you know be able to uh, take it a bit further. Mm-hmm. So we moved back there, and I sang on WLS radio and. And I uh, was lucky enough to have a a, a local uh, record that went pretty far up on the chart. Wow, wow. I actually did not realize that you were on WLS, um, which was famous for the WLS Barn Dance, which predated the Grand Ole Opry as the nation's big live country music radio show. Uh, exactly. I had actually was on a show with Homer and Jethro, who said I was talking with them, and I said, gee, I would just, you know, love to have some new songs. And he said, well, you better start writing them. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> right. a person like yourself, that young, you're not going to be getting any top songs. So wow. you better start writing. And right. I did. Well, speaking of writing, uh, after recording a rockabilly song called I'll Be True under the name Jackie D, I believe you went to Nashville to record another record. But this time it was original song that you'd written. Um, tell us a bit about that and how the writing began to change the direction of your budding career. You know, I had I had written quite a bit of material, but in those days uh, I didn't have leverage and mm-hmm. people, you know, uh, that were in the hierarchy just figured that you're a woman. What could you possibly do? Mm-hmm. Even though I made all I, re- you know, produced all my early demos and did everything, uh, wrote the songs and, and performed them. Uh, when I got into the studio, there were always producers there who um, decided that this is the way the song should be presented or you have to do this song, even though, you know, I didn't think it was the right thing for me. But, um, you know, that's, that what, that's what went on, why I think that a lot of um, records that I recorded... They kind of, one is more bluesy, one is more country, one is more pop. Um, 
and I could pull it off. You know, I could sing them because that's what I'd grown up with. Right. But, um, you know, it made it difficult for people to understand because they wanted to put me in a box. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they kind of pigeonholed you. They wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> I had a record I had signed with Liberty Records, and I had a record called Buddy that I had written for Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. And it was taking off and starting to you know, go up the charts in various states. Buddy is his name. Oh, he, he drives me oh, insane. Hey, 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 buddy. Along came a little song called The Chipmunks. <laughs> and that was so huge that all of the pressing plants started pressing that record. And so anyone who was out, you know, anyone that was climbing the charts kind of got <laughs> sort of wiped out like a young recording artist. Right. But um, back in the day, we used to do these things called sock hops. And what would happen, a disc jockey would have a show and the people that were in town or were coming through uh, promoting their records, um, they would all go and sing at the dances or lip sing at the dances. And I got a lot of experience doing that. And I met Eddie Cochran, who said, you know, you you better come out to California. You look like a California girl. I think (laughs) there's a lot of opportunity for you there. So I discussed it with my parents and we all moved out. Wow. The writing situation, I signed a contract with Liberty, who also had metric music. That was their publishing arm. And they were interested in me developing as a writer, and that also fed their publishing company. And uh, the first thing that uh, came out was uh, Brenda Lee's Dum Dum. Right, right. <laughs> so um, that was really what got me going uh, and being accepted more as a songwriter. So as I presented my songs to other artists, um, you know, I had, I had a bit of a, a step up the ladder. Right. I think that Liberty, I really feel that they wanted to promote me more as a songwriter and to help their publishing company and not market me, you know, like a singer type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, you know, I, I was one of the first, well, the first woman out here that I know of that, you know, produced and recorded and wrote their their own material, and it was uh, a bit of adjustment, adjust, you know, for people that were uh, in a position to decide what I was going to be doing throughout my career. Mm, yeah. And uh, women are, you know, I just didn't have the leverage. As, as LeBron James was saying, the talent wasn't on the floor. <laughs> I'm a big LeBron James fan. No. So, um, it was, you know, not a great picture for women at that time. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, you talk about signing with, with Liberty records. And as you say, you moved, uh, to Los Angeles, which is a very different culture, um, than Kentucky as Paul and I can attest, both being Tennessee guys who moved to Los Angeles. Um, (laughs) awesome. You know, you know what it feels like. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that kind of transition for you of kind of going from this 
sort of heavily country music world to the much bigger city, much bigger environment, different type of musical environment. Was that was that kind of a of a transition for you as an artist and writer? Oh, for sure. I think you know Los Angeles at that time uh, was uh, <laughs> a really really great. I thought of. of wonderful place to be able to create and um you know it was free uh we had drive we had tiny nailers who would pull up at midnight after recording and order a milkshake you know sort of like in the movies right and um it was a transition but i i just loved it um, yeah. you know just jump in your car and you could drive to the beach or drive you know anywhere with the change of scenery and uh, i loved it i just I feel that that really was the main ingredient as yeah. far as uh, songwriting. Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to know once you got out to California because you had recorded under you know some different names, Sharon Myers, Jackie D, and ultimately you became Jackie DeShannon. Where did that that name? How did you come up with that as as your performer name? Well, uh, it, it's such you know it's so hard to explain these things. It sounds like, and I'm, I'm making it up as I go, <laughs> but actually, um, some at some point uh, when I had recorded for one of the labels, they decided that um, the disc jockeys would play more uh, uh, guy records than, than women's or, or girls. So I had a deep voice. I kind of sounded like, you know, I could have been either or. And um, then there was Brenda Lee, and there was Sandra D, and it got all kind of jumbled. And so um, Shannon was added. And don't ask me why or how. It just <laughs> just became Jackie to Shannon, and that was it. Yeah. It sounds like a big plan, but it really <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> there was no conspiracy. Or... Sometimes no, the best no, things no, turn no, out that way. Just, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Rock and roll. Right. You mentioned Brenda Lee's recording of Dum Dum a while ago, and that marked your first appearance on the Billboard charts when she made your song a top five single in 1961. A um, and that wasn't the first time Brenda had cut one of your songs. She had already recorded one called My Baby Likes Western Guys back in 1958 and would go on to record quite a few others, uh, including the charting hits So Deep, Heart in Hand, which was a top 15 pop hit, He's So Heavenly and Alone With You. Um, maybe I'm projecting here, but both of you, you know, young women at the time, you know, f very young for the industry. Um, was there a point of connection between the two of you that was kind of like, hey, we're, we're both kind of in this together, um, you know, where you, where you found like a kindred spirit? I found a kindred spirit. I didn't know Brenda at the time. Mm. I found a kindred. I loved her music. I loved her singing. And um, she was so, she became so big, so popular. And that was one of the key people that I would try to write songs for. Hmm. And I I just, you know, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's just she just hit something, and we were both on the same page. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Brenda really gave me my break as a songwriter, and I'll always be grateful to her for that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, Dum Dum was a song that's credited to you and Sharon uh, Sheely. Sharon Sheely, yeah, yeah. Who was a, a frequent co-writer of yours in the early 60s, um, including on your own single, The Prince. Um, and, you know, I... I can't think of I can think of female songwriters from that era, obviously, Carol King and Cynthia Wilde. But you're talking about people who were in partnerships with a male. And you talked about how it's kind of a it was an uphill climb for a woman in those days. But a, a two woman songwriting so, partnership, right. that seems well, pretty rare. Imagine you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. uh, we fortunately metric music at the time. The guy in charge was a fellow called Dick Glasser. But he was so in tune with what we did and got such a kick out of these two girls running, you know, barefoot and shorts through the offices. (laughs) He just, you know, he really backed us 100%. And we were, and at that particular time, in that moment, uh, we were able to get through and have some really great writing and some great songs together. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, you know, you you mentioned briefly a moment ago, but you were creating your own demos for um, songs that you were writing uh, for other artists. But then at the same time, you're recording your own records as an artist, and those tended to be under the direction of other producers and arrangers. That's correct. Talk about that kind of push and pull there. It was, as I say, I hate to keep, uh, I don't want to be a whiny you-know-what, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, it it was just a time I guess people would would find hard to believe now, and again, I was encouraged heavily to give my songs to other artists, to hmm. other people to record. Now again, I would imagine that comes under, um, you know, contributing to their publishing company. Right. Um, but I did not have the leverage to pick my own songs that I wanted to do. Um, I came back from New York after seeing Bob Dylan at Town Hall on the first time, I think, that he appeared there. And I begged Liberty Records to let me record all of Bob Dylan's songs (laughs) on an album. Yeah. And they just, you know, threw it aside, said he wasn't going to make it. And, you know, he was... I said, this is the James Dean of, of, you know, songwriting. This is it. Mm. And, of course, they didn't pay any attention they did however let me do a a couple of his songs but they their vision wasn't there and they did not you know they included some older folk songs and kind of made nice to me by doing that but i would have been the first person to record all the songs all on one album that i heard that night wow wow what could have been (laughs) what could have been exactly (laughs) wow you know, uh, looking at specific songs for a moment, uh, I want to ask you about your song Breakaway that was recorded by Irma Thomas and, and later became a hit for Tracy Ullman. I made my reservation, I'm leaving town tomorrow, I'll find somebody new and there'll be no more sorrow, that's what I do each time, but I can't follow through, I can't break away, though you make me cry, I can't break away, I can't say goodbye, I'll never, in the secret life of bees right i don't know if you've seen that movie but it's a great movie yeah and uh dakota fanning and 
the the ladies are you know singing uh, the song while they're making pancakes. I always loved that song, and I loved the demo. We just had a great time. It was a lot of the you know the uh, wrecking crew with Leon Russell and Glenn Campbell, and you know just a, a loads yeah. of people that that became famous in their own right. I wow. had a really good demo band. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. say so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it must have been a pretty creative environment to, to have been in. It was. You know, that's all I did. You know, I just wrote songs every day, and then I would go in on a Friday and, and record them. But we had to mix it, record it, do backgrounds and everything in one hour. Wow. Because we came, you know, we used to do four songs yeah. for the session. I had the Blossoms, or, you know, well-known with Darlene Love. Had, those were my background singers. Wow. Those demos are just, they're, and they hold up, believe it or not, yeah. after all this time. Well, if, if you've got to do all that within an hour, you have to have the Wrecking Crew <laughs> making the demo, because they've got to be able to self-mix <laughs> no, they, while they're playing, right? I, I, mean, I always talk about it, because the, the musicians were from every part of the country, just like, you know, all over the United States, the same as me. And they all brought all their, all their goodies with them, yeah. their influences, their their whole way of thinking and playing and writing. So I had the best of the best, which I think would be very difficult to, um, or impossible to have today, yeah. because those people were, were so, so exceptional. Yeah, yeah. I mean, believe it or not, on my album, Laurel Canyon, I had Barry White, Russ Tileman, um, I had Mac Rebinac, which is Dr. John. This was the group that I recorded with. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, Russ became a great producer. All these, and it's just, you look at the album and you go, that can't be. Yeah. When you read the back of the album, who's, <laughs> who's on there, you go, what? Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, wanted these people, and uh, I think I had good taste. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Songcraft is sponsored by the new Taylor GT. Smaller size, bigger sound, serious fun. More and more guitar players want the comfort of a smaller acoustic guitar without having to skimp on sound. And that's especially true of songwriters who are often thinking about both portability and great quality. That led our friends over at Taylor Guitars to design a whole new class of guitar that could deliver on both fronts. Their latest release, the fun-to-play new GT, combines the fast, slinky feel of a compact acoustic with a rich, full-bodied voice that sonically punches above its weight class. Discover why Guitar Player Magazine called the GT one of the easiest playing guitars they've ever had their hands on and gave it their Editor's Pick Award. You can learn more about Taylor's new GT models at taylorguitars.com or take one for a spin at a Taylor dealer near you. In 1963, you released Needles and Pins, written by Jack Nietzsche and Sonny Bono, which gave you a number one hit in Canada as an artist and became a number one hit for the British invasion group The Searchers in the UK when they covered it. Um, but what catches my eye about that single is the B-side, Did He Call Today Mama, which is credited to Randy Newman. And shortly after that, you released the single Hold Your Head High, backed with She Don't Understand Him Like I Do, both of which you co-wrote with Randy, uh, and the latter of which later became a charting country single for Jeannie Seeley in 1971. And there are not many people on the face of the earth that can say they've collaborated with Randy Newman. Um, well, tell us I about that. I was one of the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, Randy was... I. Uh, was a great friend of uh, Lenny Warnaker, whose uh, father had Liberty Records originally. And um, 
uh, he was, I think, doing something for metric or around at that time. And, you know, just like the Brill Building in New York, they promoted uh, different writers that wrote for the same publisher to write together. And that just was, you know, kind of fell out of the sky and uh, was lucky enough to, you know, have a couple of songs or have a writing chat up with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, I know. This is like the the, uh, Forrest Gump of the music business. Every amazing, (laughs) you know, you've been involved with every just amazing musician and uh, it's it's incredible. I, I I have been. I've been very, very... Uh, very fortunate, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still stuck on, on Glenn Campbell, and then, and then I heard Barry White, and now <laughs> Randy Newman, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yes. Well, it's, a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot, lot to take in, right? <laughs> um, and you know, you can, but this was the beginning. I was in the cradle of this Los Angeles, mm. uh, you know, mecca for right at the beginning. So, um, you know, it's so exciting. It's always been. My really greatest um, happy feeling to have known people before the rest of the world knows them. Yeah, I, it was. It's because they'll never be that way again. Yeah, you know, right. it's just not going to uh, happen. I mean, I used to go in and play things to Glenn Campbell and the Wrecking Crew, all the people, and they would play it back, and I'd go, "Did I write that? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure." But it would be so wonderful. And they got a big kick out of me telling them, no, don't play that. <laughs> but I was very young. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, your first charting single as both an artist and a solo songwriter came in 1964 with When You Walk in the Room. Uh, as with Pins and Needles, it was covered by the Searchers, who made it a top 40 hit in the U.S. and a top five in the U.K., and it has gone on to be covered by quite a few artists, including Bruce Springsteen, Paul Carrick, and Pam Tillis, who had a major country hit with it in the mid-'90s. Um, you know, I-, I listened to the lyric in that song, Wish I could show you how much I care, but I only have the nerve to stare. And, you know, that that's such a... a personal-sounding lyric and, and an effective lyric. It really comes across and paints the picture for me. Are you someone that, that in a, or in that period, someone who would write from personal experience, or are these things that you're able to just watch other people and their experiences and, and kind of write these stories down? Um, actually, I think with every writer, there's a bit of the personal thing. But at that particular point... I was dating someone who shall remain nameless because they're famous. <laughs> and they had come to collect me to go to dinner. And I was waiting, and the guitar was in the corner, and I was just standing around. I was very nervous because I, you know, had really liked this person. And so I just picked up the guitar and started, you know, fooling around and got into this da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I got into that, which led to... Uh, I could feel a new expression on my face. Mm. So it, it kind of took off from there. Yeah. And, of course, it's amazing to hear Bruce Springsteen do it live. Oh, yeah. It's just perfection, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing to me to know that that guitar lick was there from the start, too. Because yes, that, it was the such... first thing. Wow. First thing that, that I came up with. I 
And uh, I, that was really kind of the thing for me. I wasn't a great musician, but I kind of knew how I knew how to connect the melody with with my emotions. I mean, mm-hmm. we kind of uh, it was it was like a helping hand, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it kind of it drove me to um, to push a little further. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when when you're writing a, a a riff like that, I think you're allowed to tell Glenn how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so funny, and, and and being so young, well, I don't know, you know. I mean, I just want to show you how to play my song. Um, yeah. And the thing that I was trying to point out before is that when you have the kind of um, backing music that you relate to so well it's just deep in you a lot of these people had country some had blues but there was a link that we all touched on and that was in that music which you can't buy you can't i don't care how great the musician is or how great the singer is if if you're in sync that's the magic and they brought their talents with them and luckily for me i had grown up with with all different kinds of music, so I could, uh, you know, plug into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that kind of chemistry thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's very difficult to nail down the language, but but that's you know that's what it was. Right, right. Um, you know, you mentioned with when you walk in the room that you were waiting, you know, for a date. You're at your house. You pick up the guitar. You, you get right. this idea. In in that period. Um, I'm curious if your songwriting process tended to to be that kind of thing where inspiration strikes, or were you a go into the office each day and kind of, you know, craft away at it type of person as well? I think both. I think, you know, if you're trying to write for a particular artist, maybe you're going to say, okay, well, they seem to be, uh, in those days, I want to preface it by that, back in the back, um, you... If, if especially if you were a fan, you kind of try to write something maybe that um, would be more in the way that they would choose music or sing music. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is just to write the song. Yeah. And if they can relate to it, fine. Because sometimes when you write, you think, oh, well, they turned that down or they didn't like it. Um, the song should be the dictator in my book. Yeah. If if someone records it, great. If it's not, as long as you're satisfied and you sign off on it and say, you know what, that's a really good song, even if I did write it. That hmm. is a good hmm. song. Yeah. And and stick to your guns and don't feel like because someone turned it down or because, you know, they said they didn't like it, uh, you're really the person that calls the shot. And people say, well, how do you know when it's finished? It's finished when you say it's finished. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's the only person, you know. I mean, if you're working with another writer, then that's something else again. You have to consider what they have to say. Hopefully you respect them. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> right. uh, but I've always felt that, you know, you're the boss. Hmm. Well, yeah. The, the, you listen to your voice. And that was one of the problems back in the day that I was recording. I had my voice, but I couldn't get... I. I couldn't put the elements together, and now, of course, women run the show, so which is great. <laughs> right. But uh, artists today, thank goodness, are able to, uh, you know, to do what they want, and especially now in today, 
um, you don't need anybody to tell you anything. You just, right. you know, you can just record and do whatever you want, which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. But you have to have that faith in yourself. Mm, right. You know, I'm a firm believer in listening to your own voice and being your own best friend and following your dream. I really believe that. Hmm. A lot of wisdom there for other songwriters, for sure. Um, not to harp on when you walk in the room too much, but I know that the birds used to play that song in their set list when they were just starting out with their first regular gig at Ciro's on the Sunset Strip back in the mid sixties. How did you know that? <laughs> Chris Hillman actually uh, told me that they used to play that. Oh, how nice. <laughs> well, I followed them everywhere. Every club they went to, every performance they did, I was pretty much 99% there. Wow. I was well. such a fan. Uh, and, nice. um, I, you know, they actually played a demo for me called Don't Doubt Yourself, Babe. Right. And which is on their album. Yeah. Their first album. Don't doubt yourself, babe. Let your feet stand up for your beliefs, babe. I know what's running through your mind You think you ought to capture time Make love, walk the straight and narrow oh, Don't doubt yourself, gal Let what's inside be your guide you They were so unique, and they put the whole thing together Folk, rock, everything Yeah, They were just superb yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, wanting to do the Dylan album that you weren't able to do. And, and you obviously um, were hooked into the birds like pretty early on. Um, I, I feel like you were kind of right there in the development of what they now call folk rock um, in L.A. at the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And not only did the birds record your song on that first album, but even on your own records, you have those elements with the jangly 12 string guitar and even bringing in the birds themselves to back you on your recording of Splendor in the Grass. And I think it's unfortunate that when, you know, we hear about sort of the development or the history of folk rock, I think that you're an important part of that. And I don't feel like you get mentioned as much as you should. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I can't say, yeah, that's correct. But, but um, thank you for saying that. Um, there's so much going on over concerns of, you know, who's on first, who has who has the uh, the rights, who own the rights to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like a car company, you know. It's who <laughs> the corporations kind <laughs> of have. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not, like, sad about it. I just realize that so much of it is controlled by corporations. Hmm. And yeah. uh, I'm really happy about that you can go and, you know, record what you want, do what you want. I just, I really had a very uh, difficult time in the sense that I was not marketed right. uh, at all. Not yeah. properly, but at all. Mm -hmm. So I think that I was supposed to be the undercover person under the 
covers with the publishing company and never to be <laughs> right. seen again. Right. But, you know, that particular time, I mean, they just were not in, they didn't do it. Yeah. You know, they'd much rather market um, other people, uh, uh, the guys, and, you know, and who was connected to who and who was friends with who. And it just, you know, you just look at it and say, hey, you could only play the cards you're dealt. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I just kind of leave it at that. But yeah. I was a part of it. And uh, I thank you for uh, recognizing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I understand that you lived in England for a while, and you continued to have songwriting success there with artists such as Marianne Faithful, who recorded Come and Stay With Me, which is a, a top five hit in the UK. Um, as a songwriter, what impact did living in a different environment just have on you in terms of new perspective, new ideas, new influences? If you go to a new environment, it's quite um, fitting to say that you are going to be influenced by, you know, all the wonderful historic things that that uh, the UK is <laughs> known for. Right. And I don't know, it's just going, the atmosphere was so different, and, and I just loved it. Mm. I absolutely loved it. And I was very inspired there. I went to to do a a record session there, um, you know, and I went, I also hopefully wanted to get my songs recorded and was very fortunate to have the great Marianne Faithful record some of my material. I just loved her voice and her understanding of poetry and um, she's fantastic. I'm a big, big fan of hers. Well, after your time in England, you landed a huge top 10 pop hit as an artist with Burt Bacharach and Hal David's What the World Needs Now is Love. Now, legend has it that Dionne Warwick actually turned that song down, and Bacharach himself has said he wasn't really sure if it was a hit or not. Um, As someone who has a great instinct for lyrics and melody as a songwriter, talk about how you reacted the first time you heard that song. I loved it. It blew me away. Mm. A lot of people turned it down. Um, But uh, I loved it. First of all, I grew up in the cornfields and the wheat fields, and uh, it I always thought that it was gospel changes. I thought it was mm. more of a blues song than uh, uh, because I think that the chords, the changes that Bert, you know, the melody. I just felt it was much more a blues song and really made for me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved it, and uh, it's funny because Hal David had asked Bert to play it for me, and he wouldn't play it, and I never understood why. He didn't play it. And after reading his book, I understand that people had turned it down, so he was gun-shy to play it. Anyway, finally Hal uh, talked him into it. He played it. I learned it and sang it, and Bert closed the piano. We're going to New York. Boom. <laughs> and that's, that's what we did. Wow. Wow. And we had amazing people, uh, you know, again, Brilliant session musicians and background singers. What the world needs now 
is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. But the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for Do you know what instrument is that? That pop, pop, pop. Do you know what that is? No, no. It's a euphonium. Hmm. You could have given me a thousand guesses. <laughs> and it was leaking all over the floor. <laughs> the water or whatever. Right. Wow. It was. It was unbelievable. Pop, pop, pop. That's what it is. Well. Wow. <laughs> and uh, we did it. We rehearsed it a lot. And uh, when we finally went live to do it, we did it in a couple of takes. Hmm. Wow. No, but no punch-ins, <laughs> no, if you're out of tune, oh, no. machine fixes, whatever. Yeah. And we didn't have any of that. <laughs> you, just had to, you just had to hit the notes and go. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> um, well, you, you referenced earlier your 1968 album, Laurel Canyon, which was kind of more of a, a rootsy, organic uh, type of record. Great, great record. Um, and as a songwriter and artist, you know, we, we've well established at this point that you don't care to be pinned down to a single style or genre. You know, it's a, really a melting pot uh, for you as you've embraced um, a lot of influences and styles over the course of your career. Um, but in what ways is that kind of impulse uh about you in what ways has that been a an asset to your career and in what ways has that been a challenge well <laughs> let's start with the challenge <laughs> uh, i wanted to do an album that was not produced and arranged and all of the things that i would normally be doing i had asked for a long, long time to just go in with the guys and just start recording, like people do today. And um, that was an uphill climb. Finally, it happened, and as I said, I had uh, Barry White, I had Russ, I had, uh, if you look at the musicians, I think it's on the back, it's phenomenal. And it was just, it was just that thing, it was organic and that's the word that I used which scared everybody to death at that time. <laughs> right. Oh my god, organic. Oh, she's <laughs> lost her mind. Um but uh I'm so proud of that album. I really really yeah, am. It's great. It's a great record. Laura Standing here trying to get around. In 1969, you landed your highest charting single as an artist with Put a Little Love in Your Heart, which you wrote with Jimmy Holiday and your brother Randy Myers. Um, and that one, of course, became a hit yet again 20 years later for Al Green and Annie Lennox.
I've heard you say that that's your favorite of your songs, and I'm curious to know what it is about it that makes it a favorite. And then number two, is it? did you know right away that you had a great one, or at the time was it kind of, oh, another day, another song? I knew it was special, but of course you don't know what it's going to turn into. Yeah. But I think the fact that, um, I think the lyrics, and it was very church to me. Put a little love in your heart is very. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a spiritual thing that I feel very strongly about, and that's treating one another the way you would like to be treated, and to help your fellow man in any way that you can. And um, I don't really know how to explain it any better than that. Is we we need to have a moral code, I think, hmm. and I think that song. It's a bit of that, because it's think of your fellow man, lend him a helping hand, put a little love in your heart. That's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, if somebody was ill or, you know, not feeling well, you cooked something, you took it over to them. You, that's the kind of uh, place that I come from, yeah. and that was normal for me. But I find, I found throughout my career that it's not always the case, yeah. and uh I don't know. I, I I just feel that if I have anything to do with something and maybe I could influence people by listening to the song and making them, uh, drawing attention to those things that I talk about in the song. It might be time in the world for another version of it to come out. Well, I, my, I'm hoping to get a rap version coming out. I'm hoping somebody mm-hmm. will, uh, yeah. you know, will hear it because yeah. I think it would be great. Yeah. I mean, that message is there, and it's, you know, it's uh, something I'm extremely proud of. Yeah, it's timeless. Um, well, you of course had additional success with Jimmy and and your brother Randy um, with songs like "Love Will Find a Way" and and "Brighton Hill." Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that that kind of writing partnership worked among the three of you. It's, it's very odd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Jimmy is was a great great talent, and I loved his singing and. And his songwriting, and again, he was writing with the same publisher that I was with. Mm. So again, that is that, you know, um, people getting together that were songwriters right. for the same company. And um, I don't know, it was pretty natural because, of course, my brother and I, and then Jimmy brought in the urban uh, gospel thing. Yeah, and it was, you know, we're I'm very connected to that. Yeah. So it was it it was a three way, but it was like one person. We were all on the same page, so to right. speak, musically. Yeah. You didn't have to explain what that line meant or what that melody was about because it mm. was just you know everybody. It was an understood thing that happened. Natural fit. Yeah. I'm really not good at explaining these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds good to me. That's working for us. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> um. In the 1970s, you spent time on Capitol and Atlantic before landing on Columbia Records with the album New Arrangement, which featured the original version of your song, Betty Davis Eyes, which you wrote with Donna Weiss. Um, That song, of course, was later covered by Kim Carnes and became a number one hit, and it got you a Grammy for Song of the Year. We all know the song. I'd love to know a little bit about how it was written. Well, Betty Davis is always a great idol of mine. I loved all her movies and Hmm. everything. And I was writing with Donna at the time, and I think that um, 
you know, she had some ideas and I had some ideas about it and and it's hard to explain how that song came together. Uh it but it you know, it worked and I again went into the recording studio and we had a more uh rock and roll version of the demo was. Yeah. And so I thought that's the direction that we were going, but the producer at the time took it in another direction. Her hair is hollow gold. Her lips are sweet surprise. Her hands are never cold. She's got Betty Davis eyes. She'll turn the music on you. And you won't have to think twice. She's pure as New York snow. She's got Betty An artist at that time, like myself, said anything, well, she's too difficult. Hmm. Too hard to work with her. Da-da-da-da-da. And I was just expressing, you know, how I felt the song should be dealt with. But, you know, again, I was not allowed to do that. Hmm. I mean, I like the record. It's not that I don't like it. It's it's a, you know, it's a good record. It just wasn't my vision of uh, what kind of backing it should have. You know, I love what it is. But it it wasn't my choice, mm, that would right. say. Yeah, that's unfortunately kind of the era where a male artist comes into the studio with a strong opinion and he's a visionary, and a female artist comes in the studio and she's difficult. You just described my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh, but we cry. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's exactly right. That was yeah. Um, now, Betty Davis was still living when that song became a hit. Do you know if she ever had any reaction to it? Do you know if she heard it? I think she loved it. I, I've read quotes. Uh, I never had an opportunity to meet her, but I've read quotes that uh, she said that her she was loved it because her granddaughter thought she was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> that her funny. granddaughter was really excited that she had a song written about her. Right, right. Just That's wait funny. till LeBron James hears the one you're writing about her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never forget that night. It was hysterical. I think they they lost after after LeBron put up 50 points. Now, come on. Come on. 50 points. You should be able to win that game. Yeah. And they they were interviewing him, and they, well, what happened? What happened? And he just had put his head down and said, not enough talent on the floor. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. And that has been one of the things that I say quite often. Right. That's, That's what amazing. Scott says after a bad interview. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You guys are great. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm having fun. Good. Oh, good. Good. We are, too. Um, <laughs> well, you know, in, in 2011, you released uh, an album called When You Walk in the Room that, that featured stripped down, you know, mostly acoustic versions versions of some of your classic songs. And one of the songs that you put on that record was Bad Water, which you'd previously recorded on your one Capitol album songs back in 1971. And I'm curious, what drew you back to that song in particular? Um, I'd always loved the song. And I think our demo <laughs> far surpassed anything that I could record. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I, just lo- I just loved it on the way to... Palm Springs, I happened to see this sign. They were, you know, how you see the different things are ahead. It said, Bad Water. I said, What a great idea for a song. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, uh, Jimmy was very much into that song, and we just had a blast uh, doing it. And I, I love, I always loved it, and I felt that it never really got the kind of recognition hmm. that the song. You know, I think it could have done very well. Yeah. Had it had promotion, etc. Bad water. Trying to run all over me Bad water Bad water Why won't you ever set me free? Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, when you uh, talk to a, a writer, even a writer who's had as many hits as you've had for every one of those hits. Every writer can point to another 20 songs for each of those one big hits and say, this song is just as good. You know, I, I wish people could hear this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, it was at that time, especially, you know, it's all about promotion, all about marketing. And that's, that's the deal. Um, at that time, women, it just was not, you know, if if a guy walked in with bad water, forget it. It'd been all over. <laughs> but uh, w- women don't write bad water, you know. I just I I don't know. I think that's kind of followed me. Mm. My lyrics and the um, just uh, I I always felt that I was caught somewhere in between mm. for uh, what could have been. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Right. Right. Um, they just didn't understand. They do now, but yeah. you know, it's how many years later? <laughs> right. I won't be the benefit of it. But right, right. Um, thank goodness, a lot of a lot of women have gotten through and yeah, uh, be it's wonderful. And it's you know, I think fortunately we have you know made progress because of women like yourself mm-hmm. who did paved the way and you know took the brunt of a lot of crap <laughs> yeah um, for, but you for know. sure but we're doing okay now which is which is great and uh i've had a fantastic time during you know i cherish every minute mm, it's, yeah i've had a great a great run uh you know as i say you have to play the cards you're dealt you know who knows what reason or why what's meant to be but that's that's for all of us yeah yeah, yeah. In 2012, you released the original song for Africa in Africa, and more recently, you uh, released the single for Isla. And though we've gotten a few new songs in recent years, your last full album of completely new material was You Know Me in 2000, which features some great original songs like Red Montana Sky and Vanished in Time. Uh, Is there any chance that there is a new Jackie DeShannon album on the horizon? Well, <laughs> uh, there may be a new EP, but I don't know. You know, I've just, um, it's its hard because I i think, you know, your what goes on in your life probably has, at least for me, I like to get up and I like to write every day. And, and, and I like to keep that going for quite a long time. And, um, you know, there's been ups and downs along the way with things that have happened, and I just have not had the kind of time that I need to work on new songs. But um, I think that it's coming back somewhere. The little muse is starting to 
raise up. I'm very proud of, uh, of uh, you know, the songs that I've written very recently. I've covered a lot of ground, you know, like somewhere in America, and I've, I've touched on some subjects about, uh, you know, how when you burn down the rainforest, all lots of stuff is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And people don't put it, I mean, people, uh, corpse don't put enough value on that. It's, no. I feel it's the money before the reason. You know, we have to take care of our, our earth and our land and all the little creatures. We have to take care of that, and I don't think we're doing a good job of that. Mm-hmm. And I've written about it, and I also, you know, wrote about, uh, and somewhere in America, about that. And um, for Africa, the same thing. You know, we uh, just a little bit of something helps so many people. Yeah. That yeah. that have to little girls have to walk to school on dusty and dirty roads and what a bicycle could mean mm-hmm. for yeah. that little girl. Right. And I try to do that, uh, you know, uh, try to be very conscious of what we could do. The it's the little things yeah. that make the big things. Mm-hmm. And I just try to turn people's head maybe for what you know they say well you know i never thought of that you mean that would really be important yes it would be Hmm. important yeah and uh place the spotlight on the little things that we can do and and we can do it yeah it's you know you're not asked to write a million dollar check you know if you can do just one little thing and then other people are doing one little thing and that makes a big thing and water uh i mean just to have running water where the uh, you you don't have the disease that you know you get with not having it. Yeah, all yeah. the stuff that goes on. If you had a well of clean water, if we all pitched in, if we did something, I'm I don't mean to sound preachy, <laughs> but we need to be aware of things that go on around us, and we can help. Yeah, and and for people that will that will not travel beyond their borders, sometimes a song can be a window into the world that they haven't seen yet. Yes, and that that is exact. Well said. That is exactly what I've been trying to say for twenty <laughs> minutes. But um, yeah, that's exact. That is exactly right. Just and the same. You know, you ask about put a little love in your heart. Well, that applies to that. Just you know, you just cut to the chase. Um, if you could just pop the window open a little yeah. bit, and so many people I know would uh, contribute. And do little things, but maybe they're, you know, you're so busy in this world that we live in today is crazy enough, um, but it, but that can be something really great, and I'm, I'm hoping to be a part of that, or yeah. a little part of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in 2010, you were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Uh, what did that moment mean for you? Well, I don't... <laughs> It's, it was, you know, a great honor. I, um, I look back and I see the little girl that, you know, had to fight her way through and the big girl that had to fight her way through. Hmm. And to have, um, I, I think it was for all women, all, all the little girl songwriters that are out there, I kind of felt like, wow, I'm holding up the poster that you can do it. That yeah. it can be done, and uh, not to give up. I, I felt like a poster person, you know, holding up uh, what can be for every little girl songwriter. Yeah, 
Yeah. Wow. You know, I I don't know if anybody. It, it's it's a big ask to ask people to un, you know to look back and to understand some of these things, but I think it would be really good if uh, you know young songwriters kind of look back to see what went on with uh, the music business and how women were treated mm-hmm. early on. Well, yeah. I, I was just sitting there thinking when you were talking about your partnership with Sharon Sheely, I was like, this is a movie. This this is a, <laughs> a, a either a documentary or a feature that needs to be told. I mean, this idea oh. uh, of this team, you know, kind of like against all odds with all these other kind of male teams going on, you guys are coming What's in so out of the interesting office. is that you had Barry Mann, Cynthia Weil, you had Carol and Jerry, but we were two girls. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Definitely a story that needs more telling. Yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> what could happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jackie, this has been, uh, I can't believe we've already, I can't believe the hour is up already. I feel like we've only been going no five way. minutes. This has is been it? great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys had to corral me. I wander around a little bit. <laughs> that was beautiful. No, this is great. We uh, love talking really, to you. I really, really appreciate you touching on, you know, uh, all the different things that we've we've talked about. The questions have been great, and and I'm really so thrilled to be on the show and so excited. And, and thank you for thinking of me, and thank you very much for having me on your program. Oh, well, thank you so much for doing it. It's truly an honor, and I uh, hope we get to speak with you again sometime. Oh, I'd love it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.